We'll be looking at the latter part of that chapter this morning. We are in a series, Pathways of Grace, and we are talking about the different means of grace, the different pathways that God has provided for us to walk with Him and to accomplish His purposes. And so we've spent time on talking about the Word of God and prayer, and now we're talking about fellowship. And this morning I want to address the issue of corporate worship. What is it that we do, this gathering together on Sundays? What is this about? What are we accomplishing? What does the Bible say, say about corporate worship. It's a very important aspect of fellowship. It's a very important means of grace, pathway of grace for us in our walks with God together. So we want to look at what the Word of God says about it. Let's uh, pray and then we'll look at the Scriptures. Lord, we thank You for Your Word and We thank You, Lord, that You give us all things that we need for life and godliness, Lord. And We can know what You call us to. We can understand what Sunday mornings are about because You've made it clear in Your Word and You've given us Your Spirit that we might comprehend. So thank You, God. So come now, we ask, and teach us through the preaching of Your Word, Lord. Teach us about corporate worship, God. And Lord, I pray You'd build up these people whom You love, um, my friends, the ones I love, Lord, build them up. Build us up in You, God, by the power of Your Spirit, that we might glorify You and enjoy You. Even today we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read starting in verse 26. This is a section of Scripture that falls in a long discussion that Paul's having with the Corinthians. And much of this discussion that he's having with the Corinthians is about what Sunday mornings are about. What is to happen? What is it to look like when they come together and worship God together? So after this long discussion, he talks about many things. He, he comes to this point in verse 26 and starts to talk about some very specific things they are called to when they gather. So starting in verse 26, he says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And we'll end there. This section where Paul talks about church and the gathering of the church, he starts with this phrase, What then, brothers? What then, brothers? That's a question that he asks that is introducing a conclusion. And it's a question that he asks because he's spent all this time talking about church, talking about Sunday gatherings, talking about corporate worship. He spent time in these 14 chapters talking about what it means to be the corporate people, 
called by the living God to be His people, to walk in His ways. And he spent the last four chapters in particular addressing specific issues related to Sundays, their gatherings, their, their corporate meetings. He has talked in the past four chapters of things like public decorum, how to dress and how to act in public worship. He's talked about the Lord's Supper, how to celebrate that, and we're going to take time in this series to speak about that means of grace. He's talked about spiritual gifts and love and how they operate, tongues and prophecy. So now after all these topics that he's talked about, he says, what then, brothers? What are we to do? And and this is a question we need to ask ourselves too. What then, brothers? What is this thing that we do on Sundays? What are we trying to accomplish? Why do we do this? You know, we could just kind of do it because we do it. Some of us, many of us, have grown up going to church on Sunday and that's what everybody does, right? You just go to church and, and if you don't go to church, something's missing and we just do that. But I would submit that that's not a sufficient reason to do what we do. We need to understand what are we doing? What are we seeking to accomplish? What is the objective here? There are a lot of ideas out there about Sunday morning meetings and what the church is supposed to do. There are churches that do all sorts of things on their Sundays. Now, any true church on a Sunday will speak of Jesus Christ, died for sins, risen from the dead. So, thank God we have that in common. But there's all sorts of ideas out there. There's some pretty wild ideas. There's a story that I came across. It's, uh, it says that, uh, via John MacArthur, the Los Angeles Times Magazine reported on a church in Southern California that distributes flyers advertising their church service as, quote, God's country good time hour. Yeah, some of us, some of us would like that. The flyers boldly promise line dancing following worship. According to the magazine article, the pastor is dancing too, decked out in Wrangler boots and Levi's. The pastor credits the campaign with revitalizing his church. The article describes their worship this way. Members listen to sermons whose topics include the pastor's 1970 Ford pickup and Christian sex, rated R for relevance, respect, and relationship, says the pastor. And it's more fun than it sounds. After the service, they dance to a band called, what else? The Honky Tonk Angels. says, attendance has been steadily rising. So there's people coming to the church to, to do this God's country good, good time hour. What then, brothers? What are we to do? What is church about? There's another extreme out there too in how they do church. And uh, I think there's a, there's a good core of this motivation, but there's people who really want to honor the Scriptures in how they do Sunday morning. And that's a great, a great thing. But what that tends to happen with some folks is they take that to the point where they say if it isn't explicitly mentioned and instructed in the New Testament, then don't do it. And so they'll often use that understanding to say you can't have musical instruments and, and you can't do this. And, and, and I appreciate that, that mentality, you know, that they want to honor the Scriptures, but I think they take it too far. So there's some churches that will be very, very strict and very, very formal in what they do on a Sunday. And, and I think if you take that line of thinking too far... If you're only going to do what they do in the New Testament, then probably we should all be wearing togas and sandals on Sundays to be in line with what the New Testament says. So I think there's a little more flexibility than that, though I think their heart, in terms of what they want to do with honoring the Scriptures, is right. So there's all sorts of ideas out there about what Sundays are about. 
There's a lot of churches that really want to reach people. And that's great. And that's what we want to do too. We want to reach people too. But they'll take their Sunday service and totally, completely orient it towards reaching out to people who don't know Christ. And, and that's great that they want to do that, but I don't know that that's what the Scriptures call us to. So what then? What are we to do? What are Sundays about? Well, 1 Corinthians 14 is a great place to go. Now, it's not the only place to go, and I need to say that up front. This isn't meant to be a complete treatise on how to do Sunday worship. Paul is addressing the Corinthians and their particular issues, but from that we can learn very much about what our Sundays are about. And I just want to give you up front what Sundays are about. I think it's in your notes. When we gather together on Sunday, we gather together. We gather in order. We gather, order, gather in an orderly way. There's an order to what we do. We gather to build up one another and glorify God. So we gather together. We gather in order. And we gather to build up and glorify God. That's what 1 Corinthians 14 teaches us. So let's start into that. First it says we gather together. When we gather together on Sundays, we gather together. That's an important point and it seems kind of silly. Of course, when we gather together on Sundays, we gather together, right? It's saying the same thing twice. But that's an important point to recognize that when we gather on Sundays, we gather together. Sundays are not spectator sports. It's not, Sunday isn't about coming to just individually watch people do something. That there is a corporate aspect that in this part of Scripture, it's talking about gathering together. There's a corporate life. There's a context. Paul has been talking about the body of Christ in chapter 12. And then in chapter 13, he talks about loving one another. And then he launches into chapter 14, and then our section where he talks about Sundays. So the, the, the idea of being together is explicit and implicit in that whole passage. So Sunday mornings are not attending a service. They're not attending a service. It's corporate worship. That's a better way to describe We don't come to attend a service. We don't come to be serviced. We don't come to, to just listen and observe and then walk, walk away. Now, there are people who do that and they may be on a journey and, and we're going to provide room for them. But ultimately, we want all of us to grow to the point that we understand Sundays as a corporate gathering as the church. It's not a performance. We don't come to listen to some good music, though it is good music. I mean, don't mean to say it isn't good music, but that's not what we come to, just listen to good music. We don't come just to listen to a good message even, and hopefully it's a good message. But it's more than that. We gather together to be together, to worship God together. Christianity is inescapably corporate. And our corporate worship on Sunday is to be corporate. It's to be together. And we see that in the passage, too, where Paul talks about each one having something to bring. That there's many people coming with their gifts. I believe that Paul's discussion in chapter 12 about the body would, I think, a right conclusion to draw from that is that each one of us has a role to play on Sunday. We each come with a gift. Now, the gifts in chapter 14, verses 26 to 33, are the public-type gifts. And I don't think necessarily everybody has that on a Sunday. But if you back up into chapter 12, there's a, a broad range of gifts that God's people have. And I would understand from chapter 12 and chapter 14, when we come together, we come to bring our gifts to the body. 
to serve the body. And no one who is a member of the church is to come empty-handed. Is to come to church merely just to receive, though that is part of it. But to come and to give as well. To come with their gift from the Lord and to give. And so a question throughout this message and, and for ourselves is to, for us is to ask, what am I giving on Sunday? What am I bringing on Sunday? Now you may not have a gift of teaching. You may not have a prophetic gift. You may not have a gift of singing. You may not have a gift that allows you to serve in some public way, but you, you have some gift to bring. And it might just be the gift of hospitality. We as a church intentionally build our Sunday morning to be corporate and to make room for everyone's gift. Now, it doesn't mean we do everything and just kind of scatterbrain. We have purpose. We have order. But we do have room to serve for everybody. So there's tons of opportunities to serve on a Sunday for us. And many of you already do serve so well with your gifts. And certainly, I believe our experience here is this is corporate worship, not a performance. But there are those who understand Sundays that way, and that's not a biblical understanding. People who would perceive that it's about coming and just listening to some good music and a good message, but it is so much more than that. Uh, it reminds me, that understanding reminds me of the description of a football game. You guys ever heard this? 50,000 people who desperately need exercise watching 22 people who desperately need to rest. Sometimes church can be that way. A hundred people watching a few people who desperately need to rest when they desperately need to participate. And so we're called to, to be together. It's uh, a corporate, a body, a group. Corporate means body, group. We corporately worship. We come together with our different gifts. And there's many contributors in, in this passage. We see this and in chapter 12 as well. There's many gifts that people bring. There's these different gifts here of, of a hymn and a lesson, revelation, a tongue, interpretation. We're going to talk about those specifics. But there's all these gifts. And then back up into chapter 12, there's just all sorts of gifts. And those, those lists in chapter 12 and in First uh, Peter and in Romans, those lists are not meant to be exhaustive. They're meant to be descriptive of some of the gifts. So there's, there's a broad range of gifts. When, it, when Jesus rose from the dead, He gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to His church for the church to be equipped and to do its work. So if we are a believer, we have gifts to give. And so there are to be many contributors, and we see that here. D.A. Carson, in speaking about this particular passage, in his book, Showing the Spirit, a book I highly recommend, he says, it is completely foreign to the New Testament to split the Christian community into one speaker and a silent body of listeners. The same point has been made by many more popular writers. Chapter 14 reflects a church service where there is dynamic interplay, sharing, give and take, not detailed liturgy climaxed by lengthy exposition delivered by one properly recognized authority. What we see in chapter 14 is a group of people participating together in worship. And so there's many components. Some of the components in here that we see, it says that each one, what then, brothers, when you gather together, each one has a hymn. Each one has a hymn. There are to be people who come with a hymn. Now, the each one I don't think means everyone. 
Because if we all came with a hymn to sing on Sunday, it would take us a long time to get through all the hymns. It would be a great time, but I don't think that's the thrust of the Scripture. That, but there are those who do come with hymns. There are those who come with songs of praise. And the word actually is sometimes translated psalm. Each one has a psalm. Because in the Greek, it, that's what it says. It's a uh, psalmos or whatever the word is. Um, but that word for, doesn't necessarily mean the psalms from the, the psalms of Scripture, though it can. And thank God for the psalms. We want to use the psalms in our corporate worship. We want to read from them and, and uh, sing from them. And we do that. And, but that word... Uh, for psalm just can also mean just songs of praise to God. So in chapter 14 earlier on, Paul talks about psalming with his spirit. Singing with his spirit is what he's talking about. Singing praise to God with his spirit. He's talking about singing in tongues, using the gift of tongues to give praise to God. And so he's not reciting psalms in tongues. He's singing praise to God. And so one element of our corporate worship is singing praise to God. We see that right there in chapter 14 in that verse. And we see that throughout Scripture. The Old Testament, the temple, there was a lot of singing. There was actually David danced before the Lord. There was, there was participation and singing that went on. And so we're to sing. Later on in Scripture, or other parts, actually different parts of Scripture, uh, in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, it, it talks about this as well. Colossians 3, I let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And so we're called to come and to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So there's a broad range of music and singing that we see the church called to in their corporate gathering. That's why we do this. Our singing here is not a warm-up for the message. That's not the point. Our singing is our corporate worship. Our singing and our corporate worship on the front end is just as important on a Sunday as the preaching of the Word. Now, the preaching of the Word is very important to us. and I'm going to talk about that. That's an important aspect. But so is the other aspects. It's not a warm-up for the message. It is corporate worship. And we see it here in Scripture. And this was a practice of the early church that they sang and, and, and brought songs and psalms and hymns and different types. So there were... There were psalms that might have been formal psalms from Scripture. There were hymns. A hymn is just a, a song of praise to God. Or in the Greek culture, it was a song to a hero. A hymn was a song to a hero. So our hero is Jesus Christ. So we sing hymns to Jesus. Spiritual songs as well. And that can connote kind of the other sort of singing. So choruses, simple choruses, are great ways to worship. And that's what I think spiritual songs can be. Just simple little ditties to God. Just singing to God and join Him. And, and so choruses have their role as well. Now, we love the richness of hymns and psalms and, and, and the content. But we also love sometimes just to sing, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. That can be a wonderful way to worship God as well. So we see that in Scripture. Actually, there are places in Scripture where it looks like the New Testament authors actually uh, copied down some of the songs they sang, some of the spiritual songs because they're, they're given in verse. So there's a passage in Ephesians chapter 5 where, Jesus, uh, where Paul says, Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now it looks like they may have sung that the way it was phrased. And in, in the original language it kind of rhymes. It doesn't rhyme in English. But, uh, but that was a, a song that they sang. Uh, in 1 Timothy 3.16 there's a place where where he sings a song. Now, this one could have been a rap song, I think. 
Uh, it says, he, in speaking of the mystery of godliness, he says, He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed up in the world, on in the world, taken up in glory. Maybe a little better or literal translation uh, for it was, was manifested in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, uh, was proclaimed among the nations, was believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So there's a little give and take. The, the words kind of rhyme a little bit. And it's kind of, it's kind of got that thing that would fit with a rap. Uh, I think we can worship with rap. But that, it was a hymn, it looks like, that they sang. And it was full of truth. I mean, that, that little what, seven-line thing is just full of wonderful truth about Christ. So we see that in Scripture. And thank God that we have this richness of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in our corporate worship. And it's a very important part of what we do. So each one has a hymn. It says also each one has a lesson. That a lesson is also an important aspect of our corporate gathering. It is, can also be translated a teaching. Each one has a teaching. And so there are to be those who bring teaching. Now, I understand this to mean not only the preaching of the Word by a pastor teacher, but also the sharing of truth among God's people. Colossians 3 it says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Now, I think that's to be a normal part of our week, but also on Sundays there is to be a sharing. And so we as a church, we have a mic up here, not just so that I can use it, and not just so that Jeff or whomever leads communion can use it, but that we as a church might use it. And, and so we have that mic to make room for this sort of sharing. Now we, we'll talk about how we do that because there's order. We don't just, it's just not open mic night and everybody can say what they want. There's some order. But we believe that God gave us His Word and instructed us in corporate worship and has given us gifts to bring. So as you come on a Sunday, think about, is there something God would have me share? It doesn't have to be profound. It can just be a prayer. It could just be thanking God for something. It could be a bit of a psalm where God spoke to you during the week. Bring that to share so that God's people might be built up, that He might be glorified in our midst. I also believe, though, that, that the lesson here is also speaking of the teaching and preaching of God's Word, that that is to be a regular part of our corporate worship, that we come together to hear the Word taught, to hear the Gospel preached, to, to hear about these things, because we need to. And this is the pattern of Scripture. So in Scripture, we see that God has given leaders to His church. Ephesians 4, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, James chapter 3, talks about not being too hasty to be a teacher. So there's this role of teacher, preacher, uh, pastor-teacher that God uh, gives to His people for the edification of His church. And so we see it in Scripture. We see the pattern when Paul goes into places and he, he would teach. And so when they gathered, he would teach. And sometimes he taught a real long time too, by the way. He, uh, you know the story in Troas where he taught and he, he was getting ready to leave them and they wouldn't see him for a while? So... He, so he really loved them and really wanted to bless them before he left. So what did he do to bless them? He preached all night long. Quite a different perspective on preaching than versus what many of us may feel at times. Like, man, that's not how you bless somebody. 
But, but he did. He preached all night long. And, I, and you know that story, right? There was a young man who fell asleep. Not that any of you guys ever fall asleep when I preach. But there was a young man who fell asleep <laughs> and fell out a window, right? And he fell down and actually died. They prayed for him. God brought, brought him to life. And, and I think Paul went back to preaching, right? So they prayed for him, went back to preaching. He'll be all right. Come on back in. We've got some more to talk about. And went on. And so, you know, that's to be a blessing, the teaching of God's Word. And we live in a culture that, that it's hard to sit still, and, and I understand that, and I want to be sensitive to that, but, but uh, we want to grow in hearing the Word and, and being listeners. And, and so the teaching of God's Word is an important aspect of what we do. And I'm so glad. I know for me and my life and my growth, uh, I can directly relate it to hearing good teaching hearing good teaching of God's Word. So that's to be an important aspect of our gathering. Other elements it speaks about. It speaks of tongues and prophecy here as well. Speaking of tongues with interpretation, Paul allows for in the church, but he really promotes prophecy. The Corinthians had to be corrected in tongues. They were really big in speaking in tongues. And, and I can't do justice to this topic in one message. We actually, I've, I've taught on this. We have CDs, so if you have any questions... Certainly ask me. We'd love to give you a CD as well. Uh, so I can't go into it too much, but, but the Corinthians were big into speaking in tongues. Paul brings a corrective. He allows tongues to be, to be given publicly with an interpreter, but he really promotes prophecy because this is a gift, he says, that will, will make sense to people and will build them up and will be used evangelistically in your midst. So he's, he's promoting prophecy and so he said, bring that stuff too. There's people who are going to come with prophetic gifts. Now, the word is revelation there. I think, is that how it's translated in your Bible? Maybe say prophecy in some, but the word is revelation. So God will give insight to things as we come together for corporate worship. So that sense you might have on a Saturday night of truth from God, maybe just there's a sense, you know, like God's put something on my heart. That might be for Sunday morning. God may want you to come on Sunday... And share that. Now, I would encourage you to search the Scriptures and see how that lines up with truth. But to come on a Sunday and to share that truth. And again, we'll talk about how we do that. But to share it, to bring it. He is going to give revelation. God is going to give revelation on, for us on Sundays that we didn't necessarily prepare for a week ago. There's, we plan and we prepare. But there's the spontaneous aspect of God revealing truth to us as we go. So as we worship, and on Sunday morning, even Saturday night, think like that. God, is there something you want me to share? And you may not even classify it as a prophetic word, but if it's a quickening from God of truth, it's a revelation. And, it, and He may even give you specific details that would serve the body. So that is to be an element as well. Now, as I said, 1 Corinthians 14 is not an exhaustive uh, text on corporate worship. And so if you examine the whole Scriptures, you'd see there's other key elements that we seek to include. Prayer, public reading of Scripture, the use of musical instruments, the practice of the Lord's Supper. Those are there as well. Um, so these are all aspects of what we do ultimately to build one another up and to glorify God. We need to be careful as we talk about these details not to forget the objective. The objective here in our corporate worship is building one another up and glorifying God. And we'll talk about that near the end. So we gather together and we gather in order. So Paul is bringing correction to the Corinthians here because they were not gathering in order. So his, uh, in verse 33, he, uh, 
he says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And then in verse 40, later on, it says, But all things should be done decently and in order. So God is a God of order. God is a God who, who does things in an orderly way. So Paul tells the Corinthians to take turns. Because these guys were so excited about their gifts, which is a great problem to have. They were so excited about their gifts that they wanted to bring something to share. And the problem was that they were mostly excited about the gift of tongues. And I think it looks like they wanted to show off to everybody else that they had tongues. Um, but nevertheless, they were all eager to share. And they wanted to come, have a chance to share their thing. And, and so Paul tells them, do it in order. And don't do more than two or three. So it isn't a tongue fest. It isn't a revelation fest. It isn't a sharing scripture fest. There's order here. There's a couple, two or three that are to share. And I think when we understand 1 Corinthians 14, when we understand what Sundays are about, that it's corporate worship, when we start to recognize that God has given gifts and that means me, and when I come on Sunday, He wants to give me a gift to give away, and there's many different types of gifts, some are public, some are not, but when we understand that, we will start to have this problem of having to take turns. And I know you've seen that because... Uh, I've heard you guys talk, many of you, and I know that you have great things to share. And I know there's times in conversation, I know this happens with me, when you're just so excited about what you have to talk about or what, you're, what you are talking about together that you can't wait to talk about the next aspect and the other point. And have you ever felt like that? You've got, you know, you're talking with someone and you're so excited and there's like ten things and you just don't have enough time to share it all. And you have to, you have to take turns. You have to wait and you've got to listen. If, hopefully you do that. If you listen and draw the other person out. Well, that was what was happening, and that's what will happen in a church that is a healthy church and understands corporate worship. There will be too many people wanting to share. I was at a men's retreat some years ago, and, and we were, it was a wonderful time. This was about five years ago, and, and, uh, and I was the guy monitoring the mic, because I'm going to talk about that. We have order, so I was the guy in charge of monitoring. And I had five men come to the mic, come up to me, and, and say, hey, I'd like to share this. Five guys. And all five had the same thing to share. They all wanted to share the same basic principle of truth. And I think a couple of them had the same scripture as well. And, and isn't that amazing? I mean, five guys. But I wasn't going to let five guys share. Because there was no reason for five guys to say the same thing over and over again. There really was only one that was to be a guy. So my, my challenge was to discern, okay... Which one of these five am I going to have to share? And, and after praying, and I talked to a pastor who's standing next to me, we ended up asking one, one of the guys to share. That's what it's going to be like. God gives gifts, and, and He gives gifts liberally. And there are times when we are going to be in Sunday worship, in corporate worship, and there's going to be a few of us who are sensing the same thing from God. And that happens over and over. As a matter of fact, there's times when I share, and someone will say, you know what, I have the same thing to share. And, and if you do, please please come forward because um, I don't want it to be my show at all here. This is corporate worship. I'm up here enough. And so often I pray when I get a sense of God wanting to say something, I'll say, Lord, uh, is there anyone else? Or Lord, would you give this sense to someone else to share? So that's going to happen. God's going to give those senses. And sometimes there will be more than one. And so we have to take turns. Just because we have a sense of a burden doesn't mean it's what God wants shared. So we submit it to the Lord and to His people. 
and we think about it. And there are some questions that we, we use, I use as we lead, to discern, is it suitable? Is this something for someone to share? Um, so it's in order. I'll get into that in a minute. Part of our order is taking turns. Part of our order is that our corporate worship is under leadership. There's leadership here that's to function in the order and giving our time order. Our gathering is not just kind of a free-for-all. It isn't just like some churches. I think the Quaker tradition can do this, though I believe they do have elders. The Quaker tradition is we kind of sit around and we all just wait and someone stands up and shares and the next person stands up. And I, I think there's wonderful aspects of that, but I, but I believe that there is to be leadership. I think the Scriptures teach us. Uh, I think it's implicit in 1 Corinthians 14. I think it's explicit elsewhere that, that when we gather together, it isn't a free-for-all. There's leadership. There's protection. Part of what it means to be a shepherd is, is to care for the flock. And so I need to be able to, to shepherd and care for us and what we hear on Sunday morning. So I hope that's good news for you because that means uh, no one's going to come up here, Lord willing, and share something nutty. Um, they're going to talk to me or one of the leaders first. And if they did share something nutty, I would say that was nutty and let you guys know that. Um, so there's to be leadership here. It isn't just a free-for-all. There's to be truth. And, and we, as leaders, and I would, I would say deacon-level leaders are called to this as well, we are to provide guidance and sound doctrine. And so protection and leadership. That's the role in Scripture um, of leaders and of elders. And so we're in, uh, in, in chapter 14, it talks about the weighing that goes on when there's something shared, when a prophecy is shared. Let, uh, it says in verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what it said. I believe that, that to some degree, in line with 1, Corinthians, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 as well, we are all to evaluate prophecy. When we hear something, we are all responsible. Is that scriptural? Is that true or not? But I believe in this passage, Paul's talking specifically about leadership. Leadership is to weigh prophecies. And, and uh, it's uh, part of why he's, I believe that's what he's talking about is because he excludes women from that weighing, he excludes women from participating publicly in that way, and that's what that next chunk of Scripture is about because Paul, uh, and I believe Scripture, uh, promotes male leadership among the elders. So I believe it's the elders are to weigh, the leaders are to weigh, and so we as a church do that. We weigh what is shared. And uh, the way we do that, we provide this a microphone. We want to be corporate, but uh, usually I'll be standing here, or Jeff might be, or another leader. And if you have a sense, please come up. We are, we're, we're nice people. We're nice guys. And we're, and we're I think, right? And, and we're trying to serve the Lord here. We're going to be, and we're going to be grateful that you come up. And you're bold. I know it takes some boldness to step up and to come and share. But we want to, first we're going to encourage you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for thinking that truth. That's a good truth, regardless of what happens. Then we're going to try to discern, is this something that's appropriate? Is it orderly? See, God is a God of order, a God of themes. He tends to often work on Sundays along particular themes. And so there's a flow to our worship. And so something, uh, we look for for things flowing in themes. Some of the questions we ask, I think it's in your notes, is what's being shared? Is What's going to be shared? Is it God-glorifying? Is it in accordance with the good news of Christ? Is there grace? Is there a focus on Christ? Is it scripturally accurate? Does it ring true with Scripture and the interpretive key of Christ that all the Scriptures are ultimately about Jesus? Is it loving? 
Someone could come up with a truth. We talked about this last week. With the truth, right? But there's just an edge on what they're going to say. You guys need to do this. And we're not going to do that. It needs to be loving. Is there love? Is there the desire to serve? Is there, is there humility? I think love and humility go together. Is it edifying? Does it, does it encourage us, build us up in Christ? It may correct us. I'm not saying it won't, there won't be a correction there. But is it a correction that's edifying and encouraging? Is it fitting and orderly? And then the final question I ask, can I trust this person? Because sometimes I just don't, I don't know them well enough and I don't know what's going to happen. So I, I will tend not to uh, allow someone I don't know to share just because I need, there's, there's more to it sometimes. And so those are the questions we ask. Uh, and I don't necessarily go through my list when someone comes up, but that's the sort of stuff I'm thinking. Uh, what's the Lord doing? And I'm so glad that so many of you um, are growing in this area and come up and share. And I want to see more. Um, so I want you to know you have permission to think that way. You have permission to, to prepare yourself that way and pray that way. And I want to encourage you as you think about Sunday mornings to think this way, to think biblically. This is us coming together as the church to share corporately. And each one is to come with a gift to give. It's to be done for the building up of God's people and for God's glory. Everything's to be done decently and in order. So that's another aspect too, is though we, uh, we see God leading us in many ways, and there's a dynamic in our Sunday gatherings, we do plan and we do prepare ahead of time. And so there's to be order, and we're called to that. We're called to be a people who have some order in our Sundays. So you come in every Sunday, and it's not just like, can you imagine coming in every Sunday, and you just don't know what you're going to get that Sunday? It's, I mean, is, is maybe Paul's going to preach this Sunday. Maybe not. Maybe this is going to happen. So there's some order to what we do. There is some structure um, to what we do. And we need to do that. I think we're called to that. Though there's a, a, a flow as well. And, and we need to... I, I think for you guys, you understand that. But some of us may come from traditions that are very orderly. And that's good. I think, I mean, order is good. But sometimes the, the order can get in the way. God is a God of order. God is a God of peace. But the order has an objective. There's a point to the order. We are not orderly for orderly's sake. We don't do things the same way just because it makes us feel good. It's ultimately for building up of one another and for glorifying of God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 5, they are dedicating the temple. Chapter 5 through chapter 7. They're dedicating the temple. And they've planned and they've prepared and it's very orderly. They have assignments that said... you. You, you're going to do the trumpets. You guys, you've got the tambourine over there. This is going to be the procession. We're going to do this. So they had orderly worship. And, it, and it was, there was singing and there was music. And there's dancing in Scripture too. That's the other aspect that, that, that it's, we are to sing and be expressive. Um, that's a whole other message. But biblical expressiveness in Scripture is expressive. I, in Scripture, when we look at ways that we worship God corporately, it talks about things like clapping. It talks about things like lifting our hands. The normal pattern in Scripture for prayer is this way, not this way. Though our culture, this is what we think is normal. This is what we see in Scripture. This is how people pray. That's partly why we lift our hands. We see in the Psalms the call to lift our hands in worship. So those are biblical patterns of worship. Um, our culture, this, this is normal but it's not a biblical form of worship. 
This is not a biblical form of worship. These are biblical forms of worship. And, and this is biblical form of worship. There's dancing. Now, I don't know if you want to call that dancing, but that's kind of as far as I get in dancing. There's, 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 those are biblical forms of worship. Now, that's a tangent, but just a little, bit, little notion. And I'd encourage you, if you're thinking about that and wrestling with what's appropriate, study Scripture. Look at, look at what the whole Bible says about expressiveness. Uh, again, like I said, it's another message, and I won't give it now. Uh, we're talking about the temple. Uh, so they were dedicating the temple. They had planned. They had everyone doing what they're supposed to do. And then it says in verse 13, when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So they had planned, you're going to sing, you're going to do this, we're going to have cymbals and music. But when they started to do what they were planning to do, God's presence manifested itself in the temple in the form of a cloud. It was heavy. It was visible. And their response was to get down on their knees and worship God on their knees. They didn't plan to do that and it wasn't in the order of service for the day. And yet it was what God was calling them to. And so we need to understand that. God is a God of order. That wasn't chaos. God didn't come in and show His presence and people started running around doing crazy things. There was order, but it wasn't the normal course of things. So God's order can be different than our order. God has the desire to manifest His presence. And in doing so, He may do it outside of our plans. Now, it will be in order in His way but it won't be necessarily what we expect. And when we come together, we come together in His presence. And we we should come asking God, give us the ability to discern the unexpected, to discern what you want to do that may not be something we planned on doing in the beginning. So there's order, but it's God who's sovereign over that order. If the band could come up as we close. So we come together to gather together. We gather in order. And we gather to build up and glorify God. That's where Paul concludes. There's a flexibility, I believe, the Scripture gives us in what we do on a Sunday. There's scriptural principles that lead us, but there's a flexibility. Paul says, let everything be done for building up. So our objective is to to build up one another, to build up the church together and to glorify God. Our Sunday mornings are a wonderful means of grace for us as a church. To be built up. To encounter God. To experience His manifest presence here in a way that we probably won't during the week. Sunday after Sunday, I experience God's presence and and glory in our midst in ways that I don't during the week. Because God loves to manifest Himself among His corporate people. His gathered people. So this is an important aspect of who we are. And it's an important aspect that runs throughout the whole Scriptures too. I've assumed a lot in this. I've assumed that you've understood that point. That God God is very interested in His corporate people gathered. And we see from, I would say, from the very beginning, from Genesis, Adam in the garden with God, gathering to worship God, right through the temple, right through to the very end in Revelation, the corporate gathered people of God in His presence for worship 
is a key aspect of how God relates to us. So Sunday mornings is part of that, an important part. It's really, I believe, the most important part of our week. I also believe, 1 Corinthians 14 teaches us, it is the most important evangelistic outreach of the week. If there's one evangelistic program we want to invest in above all others, it's this. It's Sundays. And making our Sunday a God-focused, enjoyable time that is appealing to people who don't know yet Christ, don't yet know Christ, yet through our worship are brought to face the Lord and to encounter Him in our midst. So it's important in all these ways to us. We have this wonderful privilege of gathering together. And in conclusion, I just want to challenge us, certainly look at the application questions in your notes, but just one thing. What am I bringing to Sundays? What gift am I bringing? What am I giving, bringing for corporate worship on Sundays? We each have a gift. We each have a role to play. We each have a way to participate in corporate worship. There are many, many opportunities to serve here. And so you could talk to me, you could talk to any of our leaders about this, but in what way? And many of you are already coming. And I want to encourage you. Thank you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for the work that you do in serving. Everything from setting chairs up, the, the most seemingly menial task, to what you might think is the most glorious task, is worship to God and is participating in corporate worship. And because of you serving this way, we get to meet God together as His people. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank You for Sunday gatherings. Thank You, Lord, for Your Word that guides us in what we are to do on Sundays. Thank You, Lord, for all the glorious things that You do. Lord, we thank You for Your grace and Your gifts given to us. And Lord, we look forward to You to continue to build us up in and through Sundays to Your glory, Lord, that the lost would be saved, that Your name would be magnified. We thank You and pray this in Christ's name. Amen.